Education is really has been my top priority here. The biggest change maker is the community colleges. And when I first got elected, I was sort of horrified to learn that the average student spent six years in community college. And there has been a very decades long effort to try to improve basic skills. We were able to get $60 million in the budget to look at high impact practices to accelerate students' journey through community college, whether it's to get a vocational degree in two years or to transfer to a um, to transfer to a four-year college. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Sacktown Talks. Today we're glad to be joined again by Assemblywoman Jackie Irwin. Jackie, thanks for joining us. Great to see you in person this time. Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm glad we're not doing this over <laughs> Zoom. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely not. I remember last time you were just coming in from a hike. So uh, glad to see you here in person today and uh, kind of tell us a little bit, you know, what's changed in the last two years with you and your district? Well, we uh, obviously had redistricting and a lot of uh, legislators saw big changes, but I would say I saw one of the biggest changes. The The district that I'm representing now is probably 60% different mm-hmm. than the wow. district that I had before. That's yes. a big change. So um, I had um, Oxnard and Wainimi, basically uh, a significant portion of Ventura County and about 5% of uh, L.A. County. Mm-hmm. And then I added the cities of um, Simi and all the way out to Camarillo and then Malibu and Brentwood and uh, Pacific Palisades and Bel Air. District, huh? Yes. So it's, it's it has completely changed a whole different constituency, but um, we're going to work really hard to to learn all about all our new constituents right. and uh, it's going to be exciting. What are what are I guess the interests of your constituents? Like what, what has changed there? Like what's front of mind? You know, you just, you know, ran for reelection. You've gone door to door. You've talked to these these new people. What's front of mind on kind of the, some of the issues they they want to see you kind of tackle up here? Well, I think the biggest issue is that I'm representing a, a very significant portion of the Santa Monica Mountains and communities like Malibu and Thousand Oaks and Oak Park and Agora have all been impacted by fire. And so they're very concerned about climate change. They're very concerned to make sure that the state invests enough money to protect them from from fires. So uh, we, we also have constituents that have um, seen their in fire insurance bills go way up. Uh, we're going to be working with the insurance commissioner to see if we're something we can do something to help kind of alleviate the burden right. that a lot of these homeowners are seeing. Yeah, no, that's tough because a lot of these places become uninsurable. And yes. then, <laughs> then what do you do? Yeah, well, what we're seeing with and, and it's it's especially difficult for the townhouse townhome communities mm-hmm. uh, because they are not covered by the um, or they can't be fully covered by the state insurance. So they are lining up, you know, a number of different insurance companies to uh, to try to get coverage. But we're hoping to be able to help there. We had a huge fire, the Thomas fire. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, Woolsey fire in that area. And um, they have seen firsthand the devastation that's, that these huge fires bring. Uh, obviously, in Malibu, we lost a large number of homes. So we really want to make sure that homeowners do everything they can do to protect themselves right. from fires, but also to make sure that they can still get reasonable insurance. You know, we just recently had this like, flood of storms statewide, uh, really crushed kind of, I guess, the northern area of the state here on the coast. How, how did your area fare during this kind of 
series of storms? Um, there, we, we didn't see um, huge uh, um, issues in our area. Um, I, I The area does, the Santa Monica Mountains in that that in my district does have a number of um, canyons. Mm -hmm. People drive through uh, Canaan and Topanga, and there were definitely um, minor uh, rock slides in those areas where um, they needed to get the the big, the boulders removed out of the center of the road. But just up north a little, obviously, there was a huge issue because of the the mudslides. Right. Yeah. Or so potential mudslides. You know, we just had a, a group of a new influx of, of new legislators. Uh, you know, one time not too long ago, you were one of those new legislators. Um, what's it kind of like getting a new the, the new group and kind of getting started this session with kind of all this you know new energy? Well, it's it's exciting, but it's also difficult to say goodbye to so many of the colleagues that we've worked with for a long time. This was when when people ask that they say, oh, my gosh, there's 20 or 25 new legislators. That must be so difficult. But when we had six year term limits, this is what was happening every every two years. So it does show that um, we are in a much better situation with the 12 year term limits. We've really seen that legislators have been able to dig into um, their policy areas. Uh, It used to be, I think, the average legislator served three and a half years because they were on to the next office right. uh, very quickly. So um, it's, it is uh, it is fun to get to know all these new legislators with their new uh, priorities. Uh, but it's, um, you know, I've, my staff has, has put together a, uh, a big uh, picture chart so <laughs> I can get to know all of learn them. Learn all the new names. To learn all the new names. But it seems like a great group. Um, they seem to be pretty tight knit. And um, the the members that have been here a while are trying to get to know as many of them as possible. So I have invited them to, uh, we do morning walks one day. Right. And uh, last week I did, um, uh, well, invited a few to Orange Theory. And uh, this week we're going to be doing spin and we have our regular uh, Pilates class. So that's a good way to get to know um, some of our legislators. But we're also you know, trying to fit into their schedules to be able to talk to them one-on-one. Yeah. They're at the point right now with the, you know, 115-minute meetings, so they're pretty overwhelmed, yeah. too. So I guess you're the the chairwoman of the active caucus then. Like, you know, yeah. which one of these new members <laughs> is the best athlete that you've seen so far? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I probably, uh, I, I don't know if I would want to opine still on that. Still assessing. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm still assessing. But they're, they're definitely uh, very excited to be involved and, you know, when I first started here, there was a big joke that everybody gained the freshman 15, oh, yeah, and then yeah. I think it went up to the freshman 20. And so uh, we're trying to avoid that. So we're scaring all of them, right. telling them they better be exercising. You know, that's funny. Like pre-COVID, there used to be so many receptions, like beginning of the year receptions. And, uh, you know, we were recently talking about this is, is you know, what's the biggest change? And, you know, that I think that's the biggest change is members would go out and go to five to ten events a night, right? Uh, and now it's really slowed down and, and kind of moderate. So putting on that freshman 15 is a little more difficult than it used to be. <laughs> but I, I do think that you're really starting to see things move. I mean, we've had some difficulties because a lot of, I mean, you know, our businesses with COVID um, have had real difficulties and a lot mm-hmm. of them have shut down. So um, that does slow things down a little bit. But I, I can see that uh, things are picking up pretty rapidly now. Some people just think, COVID's over. So right. <laughs> it's time. But I, I I think the receptions and, and those type of gatherings will um, get started again. But it has been, you know, two or three years where things have been 
very slow. And the, uh, I was just joking with uh, Kevin McCarty. We were just talking um, during COVID. You know, there was nobody here except for the legislators. Right. So we would take walks like at night twice, uh, twice um, a week. And our first trip was through the cemetery. And so we have a lot of fond memories of that really terrible time. But we made the most of it. But, you know, looking forward to getting back to normal. Yeah. You know, the governor just came out with his his budget proposal, kind of his blueprint for what's going on for later in this year. Have you had a chance to take a look at it and kind of what are some of your initial thoughts about kind of the the changes in revenue and kind of the spending outlay from from this year from last year? I, I haven't looked at it that carefully. Obviously, I'm I'm not on the budget committee. I I do think um, you know we 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 already thought last year that was a very unique year with. Um, the stock market being so high during COVID and all the federal money that we were getting that it was, you know, it seemed like the budget mm-hmm. was um, uh, maybe a once in a lifetime budget. And this year it's um, everything is slowing down. We, we, we depend uh, as everybody knows uh, a lot on the top uh, tax earners in the state and um, with the stock market down, you definitely see a difference there. So kind of waiting to see what the May revise looks, seeing what the projections look like. But we have every indication that uh, there's not going to be a whole lot of money and that cuts will have to be made. I really think that we shouldn't dig very deep into that rainy day fund because we don't know if there's going to be a recession looming or not. So I certainly hope that the governor and um, the legislature, when, you know, finally gets to be June, that that we have a conservative budget, that we uh, preserve all our important safety net programs, but that we always also uh, realize that um, there could be an ongoing issue. Right. You know, you've been reappointed chairwoman of Assembly Revenue and Tax. Congratulations. Thank um, you. Kind of what drew you to that committee and kind of what what do you like about being the chair of that committee? Um, I I was just appointed. Um, I think it was I haven't even been in a year, so we didn't really have a um a uh, full um, year in that in that committee yet, but I think it's interesting to see what you can do with the tax code to help you know the the the, the those that need the most help. So mm-hmm. something that I've been particularly focused on is how do we get um, EITC out to uh, more of our constituents. That's a a program that brings the working poor out of poverty, and um, it is being underutilized. Mm. So we have looked at a number of ways that we might be able to expand utilization of that. Uh, it's also important to look at, you know, what are what is it that we can do to help businesses through the tax code? And then, of course, we always have um, a lot of colleagues that suggest that it's time for tax increases. Right. But we will be looking at those uh, very carefully. Uh, I think uh, we've we had a huge budget last year. We need to see where we're going Um something that I'm pretty skeptical about. Yeah. But there's a lot of there's a lot of areas we can look at and um, see, like I said, either helping uh, um, further goals like helping the poor or um, what can we do for climate change and um, supporting businesses. So uh, it should be ex- an exciting year in, in Revantax, as exciting as Revantax can be. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Is, is there anything like since, you know, you've taken over the committee and you've really dug into, I guess, the California tax code, kind of what are some of the more, I guess, interesting things or, or some things that kind of stood out to you since, you know, kind of digging into this? 
Well, I I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, everybody wants to give uh, tax credits. And um, I think it's uh, quite amazing how much of our budget is actually uh, tax credits or Mm -hmm. tax refunds. So that's that's the part I think has been for a very long time hidden. That we can't spend as much money in the budget as we want because we have, you know, so many of these um, tax uh, rebates in right. place. Uh, luckily, a few years ago, we had, I think it was an assembly member at the time that that um, made sure that there were phase outs of those taxes. But we're going to be having an oversight hearing to really try to get an idea of how um, big the issue is, mm-hmm. because something that might make sense right now, encouraging, for instance, uh, investments in, uh, you know, batteries or solar infrastructure, something like that, that's that's relevant, um, uh, might not be relevant in a few years. And and um, expenditures that we had uh, 20 years ago right. might not be relevant. So I think it's time to take a look at that. Yeah. I guess one of the kind of the coolest things that's happened the last couple of years is is the work uh, a lot of your, your colleagues have done with community colleges and especially giving funding, kind of basically making it free for a lot of people to go to community college. Kind of, Can you tell us about your work with uh, community colleges, kind of what you've been doing with AB 1705? Um, certainly. And, and education is really has been my top priority here. We've 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 worked all the way from uh, starting a um, early childhood education program at uh, Cal State. Uh, uh, Channel Islands, a pilot program for uh, like a lab school, mm-hmm. uh, getting an engineering school there and and all the way through getting funding for UC Innovation Centers. But I think the the biggest change maker is the community colleges. And when I, when I first got elected, I was sort of horrified to learn that the average student spent six years in community college. And there wow. has been a very, you know, decades long effort to try to improve um, basic skills. Uh, so we had a hearing down in um, the district at Channel Islands, looking at what had been done. And, and basically, all those basic skill programs had been um, a failure. They mm. really hadn't uh, moved the ball at all to getting students through um, community college earlier. So we were able to get $60 million in the budget to look at high impact practices to accelerate students' journey through community college, whether it's to get a vocational degree in two years or um, to transfer to a um to transfer to a four-year college, and it turns out after that investment, when you see when you saw certain schools really embrace it, that the biggest issue was that uh, the placement tests were putting students, the vast majority of students, in remedial education. And when you looked a little deeper in the numbers, students that were two or three levels below, especially in the community college in in my area, um, only 25% of them ever took a transfer level class. Now, if you really take a step back, you realize how shameful that is. Uh, I represent an area that has a lot of first-gen students. Mm -hmm. Here are students whose parents did not go to college that decided to sign up for community college, and then they drop out because they were in remedial. And it turns out remedial doesn't help um, success in transfer level classes at all. So uh, 705 passed in, I think it was 2017. And that required that students be placed in most cases directly into transfer level classes. And the stu- the what we saw with the um, PPIC report that came out a few years later is that 
tens of thousands of students move through the system more quickly. And there were, uh, you know, some colleges that were reluctant uh, and skeptical mm-hmm. uh, of that data. But um, we work with the chancellor's office and a number of uh, equity groups uh, to close some of the loopholes. And that's what 1705 was. Uh, it is it's not just about those first gen students that are being placed in remedial because they don't have the confidence to right. say I'm going to be in I want to be in a transfer level class. I talked every time I go and talk to um, people that are in the fellows program, you know, the cream of the tr- right. crops, uh, cream of the crop, uh, young people. They tell me stories about being stuck in remedial. I talked to two young women right when we were in the midst of this fight that had been placed in remedial and had to take 18 units per semester to get out of community college in two years. And then they both graduated from Cal with honors. So obviously that placement was was wrong. So I think this is a, a huge game changer for our students and it really helps them um, move onto uh, you know the next phase of where they want to go more quickly. Right, Cal State Channel Islands. That's not one that gets a lot of publicity, but I guess it should be. Where where exactly is it? Is it on an island or is it just? <laughs> oh, yeah, it should be with a name like that. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's kind of overlooking the islands, and they do have a lab on on uh, Santa Rosa. So, uh, Cal State Channel Islands is in Camarillo, and it's one of the newest uh, Cal States. Yeah, and beautiful campus um, and. It's almost like getting a private education there right now, but uh, very involved with the community and with the business community. And and that's kind of how we uh, decided that we needed to help them get the funding for an engineering school because there was a survey done in the Mm -hmm. community. And and it turns out the local businesses and the naval base were in desperate need of engineers. So um, they started a mechatronics program with um, some funding that we were able to get them. And uh, last year was their first graduate graduating class. And it was so exciting to hear that every one of those students was snapped up. And so uh, at least, you know, we really feel like you make it made a difference that we really feel like we made a difference at that school. It's like everyone apply now before it gets too too popular, like Cal that, Poly and all the San Diego schools and yeah, Santa Barbara. It's, it's like our, a secret little gem there, and, and a very large number of first gen um, students from Ventura County. So um, we just want to make sure that right. they're, uh, you know, get get a good education and are able to um, stay in the area. Yeah, you know, I was just recently at an event, and all the you know there was maybe fifteen members there, uh, and everyone was just talking about. Housing, housing, housing. Uh, I got to get a housing bill. This housing bill, has it. and it seems like we've just been exhausted with housing talk the last. It seems like I guess since Gavin was elected, you know, that's what he came out and talked about. <laughs> you live in a district where everyone wants to live. You know, we'd all love to move there if we could. Um, you know, how do you how do you deal with that? We only have so much space. There's only you know so many sp- spots to build housing. Kind of what what are some of your thoughts to kind of really deal with this housing crunch and kind of address some of these housing issues everyone keeps you know talking about. Well, we in in you know, and I'll talk specifically about Ventura County because the LA portion of my district is, of course, something I've been representing for uh, you know just two months, mm-hmm. so it's a little bit difficult to really talk about that area. Um, Ventura County is uh, very, uh, um, you know, they they really value open space, and there's been a number of voter initiatives to protect our ag land. Mm-hmm. And if you look at each individual city, they are really trying to protect open space too. So um, we already. Know know that's those are the values of um, 
the residents of right. Ventura County. But each of the cities really needs to take on a responsibility to look at if you're not going to um, build an open space, which I don't think you should, where can you put additional density? And the cities are really stepping up. Um, they don't like to be told by the state what to do. Um, they especially were not happy with bills like uh, SB9, the, mm -hmm. these local cities. But uh, the city that I live in, in Thousand Oaks is building, I think they, they have six new um, high density projects on what would be considered the downtown corridor. And you're seeing that in um, more cities like Moore Park also. So they are really um, taking on um, the responsibility, but they're doing it in a way that that really um, fits um, the the locals. Right. So it's really about local control in those areas. I think that especially the elected officials realize in Ventura County, we've had extremely um, anemic economic growth, and that can be attributed to not building enough housing. So we're really starting to see things turn around. But again, that's within the parameters of, of uh, what people accept, which is, you know, understanding that we need to put density in, in, you know, the areas where you already see building. Right. Oh, interesting. Um, you know, last year in, in last year's uh, budget, you had uh, something in there called digital upskilling. What is that? <laughs> well, during COVID, um, what we saw is that um, the, the people that had the skills to stay home mm -hmm. were able to uh, to work from home and make their regular salaries or, or make more than their regular salaries. And then we saw a lot of the lower income workers that still had to go into work, put their own life at danger, in danger um, with uh, um you know, the pandemic, right. and they weren't necessarily getting uh, paid a lot. And a lot of them are in jobs that uh, eventually um, kind of dead end jobs. Right. And so what we had talked about as a small group here in the legislature is we really needed to um, get more people trained up into jobs that will help them become part of this economy where they can make more money, where they have much more um uh, upward mobility as opposed to being, you know, phased out by automation or being in dead end jobs. Right. And so um, I was able to get $5 million in the uh, budget for a pilot project in Ventura County. Uh, we worked with a number of groups, including the Economic Development Corporation, and they were able to hire a couple of staff. And what they did was they interviewed all the local companies to look at what are the skills you're hiring mm -hmm. for. And because you're seeing help wanted signs everywhere, but it wasn't uh, matching the skills that um, some of the people that were either right. out, out of work or underemployed. So we're starting this this big pro we have the survey results. We know what the skills are that are required. And we have right now three cohorts of people that are um going to be trained up, um, let's say, in cloud computing or uh, even how to turn on a computer right. and, and do a spreadsheet. Um, they're going to be getting salary replacements. Uh, they are going to be getting a computer and they're going to be getting free training and then a connection to jobs in the local area. And this is really something that we need to look at across California and right. really across the United States. How do we make sure that people have constant education because mm -hmm. um, many of the jobs that we see now are going to be phased out right. and how can you train people in areas that that have this high need I, I see 
company right near us that has had a sign up for the last year that we will we will pay to train you right. um, and and they can't get anybody to take the job and yet you have people that are sitting in you know minimum wage jobs and and not able to um, really um, uh, live comfortably. Mm-hmm. They're not able to own a house. They're, they're, you know, are, are, um, food insecure. So we really need to look at what can we do. And, and this is not about college students. This is really about, you know, 25 and up people that, that find that they're in careers that are not paying right. much anymore. You know, that's interesting. Cause you know, we just had, uh, Luz Rivas on and, you know, she has the engineering background here you are with your engineering background. Kind of interesting. You know, you don't really <laughs> see a lot of members with engineering backgrounds. Uh, uh, and here we are two in a row. And, and one thing you talked about was kind of in high school, like there wasn't there's not a lot of technical uh, education. Like coding is like something that a lot of people are trying to get into a huge demand. Um, kind of is, is that something that, you know, I guess you, you think that needs to be addressed, I guess, in high school or even community college just a little more technical education? Yeah, I, I think there's there's a lot of people that are trying to um, bring it into the high schools. We've seen, we've seen programs in Ventura County that are going into the high schools to try to teach um, coding. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've really, um, what, what I'm really heartened to see is when you have these um, robotics tournaments, uh, you know, they have some of them just aimed completely at right. uh, young women. And I, I met one of them recently and it, she just graduated with some master's in engineering. So we really need to, it's, it's really important for both women and for people that are underrepresented in the technical fields to have um, early exposure because it makes it much more likely that um, they will think that they can pursue one of those fields. But it's absolutely critical because that's the job you, you hear right now. It seems people might have a little skeptical because we're hearing about the layoffs from these uh, tech companies right. in in some of the technical technical jobs, but what you're not hearing, unless you're really listening, is that uh, a, a lot of those folks are getting hired up right away by hospitals or by insurance companies because it, it's just we have just a shortage across every field of. Um, technical people. And, and, you know, for me, I've really, uh, I really think there's a big opportunity in cybersecurity too. We're like a a million, million positions short in cybersecurity. And, and um, you can get that training in the local um, uh, community college. Mm -hmm. You can go full on in a cybersecurity direction and Cal State or, or any of the other UC colleges. But it's, it's a field that it's not just working at Google where you can get a a job in um, software engineering or cybersecurity. It's, it's, you know, at your local bank down the street. Exactly. No, that's interesting. You know, you've always been kind of at the forefront of a lot of things kind of tech related here in the legislature. Kind of what are some of the issues kind of coming up this year that, you know, the tech companies are, are looking at? Uh, well, they, you know, obviously, I think the the biggest um, responsibility for the state is um, making sure that we are um, imp- uh, training enough engineers, software folks, you know, n- enough people in the technical fields at our Cal States and UCs mm-hmm. and at the community colleges. I would say that is that's one of the biggest things. Most of what I've been working on in the last eight years is making sure that state government, our state government, is doing what it needs to do as far as doing security assessment assessments and audits. And, right. and um, we've seen a huge, uh, you know, a, a definite improvement here with Department of Technology. A lot of uh, the departments are um, much more aware. And, and we saw a big investment from 
both Governor Brown and Governor Newsom uh, um, in, in putting a, uh, putting something uh, together that really acknowledges the danger that the state faces in this in um, in the uh, uh, cybersecurity area. But what I see this year, and you're hearing more and more about it, is that um, with these smaller government organizations, smaller schools, they are not able to really get the expertise mm-hmm. to hire the right type of person to protect themselves. And um, and then even really more scary is critical infrastructure. And um, we need to make sure that, you know, that at both the federal level and the state level that they are getting as these small, let's say, water companies or electric or big electric companies are doing everything they can to um, protect their infrastructure and um, the people they serve. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. We just kind of saw this over the Christmas break, right, where Southwest had some like outdated IT infrastructure. And then, you know, even the the U.S. transportation system had this old COBOL system you know, that's what our, a lot of our agencies have, right? Right. Uh, you know, what, what is it going to take to kind of update kind of these systems to get us, I guess, to the standards of today? So yeah, it's kinda... it's hard for those state systems because they're so enormous. We, um, you know, they, they all have these legacy systems that right. were from like the 60s. And so uh, the question is, do you start over or keep patching them mm-hmm. and and with southwest you know that's kind of, i mean not, neither one of the, the, these these issues are not necessarily the you know security issues right. but just that um a brand new that you really almost have to start from scratch the i think the the southwest they just have a very complicated situation because it's point to point as opposed to a hub system that right. other airlines do and i they the software just wasn't able to handle the stress that it um, received when uh, when there were so many cancellations because the weather was so much right. larger so they they you know, have known that they needed to upgrade their system, but we have the same thing in the state of California. EDD mm-hmm. has a system that um, b- before the pandemic, the, you know, we had oversight hearings. They said that their system needed to up- be upgraded. We were specifically concerned about the fact that they couldn't get the um, social security numbers out of the um, the correspondence that they sent, right. which was very disturbing. But they said, no, we have to, you know, the, the new system's going to be up in I don't know, 2024. But then you saw what really happened when that investment wasn't there. The system was um, uh, not delivering right. during and, COVID. And abused, right? Like yeah. a lot of fraud. There was a lot of yeah. fraud too. So um, I think we just have to be much more proactive. But the thing with cybersecurity and with these software systems is everybody is um, – after the fact, they think it's an emergency, but we really need to think about proactively mm-hmm. investing. And um, that's not quite as exciting for legislators. You know, it's not a uh, a ribbon cutting for a new bridge. It's right. something that you invest because you're trying to prevent a big cyber attack or you're provide, trying to prevent a uh, EDD from melting down during, mm-hmm. uh, you know, during a pandemic where thousands of people were not getting their checks and weren't able to eat. Right. No. Yeah. It's kind of, it always blows my mind that like, you know, here we are in California, the home of like all these companies that you think could just solve our problems like this. Uh, And yet here we are kind of with these antiquated systems. Well, it's ironic. It is difficult because you have to go back. I think California is now the fourth largest economy in the world. Mm -hmm. And so these software systems that run, um, you know, a lot of our different departments are absolutely 
enormous and it is for a company to bid on it is highly risky because um, because of the liability and and right. the complexity and so um, there is really um, they're they're starting in in Department of Technology has started to use this agile system which is taking a system and building it in parts and allowing um, allowing different RFPs so allowing smaller companies to also uh, bid on mm-hmm. on building up systems and you know, hopefully they continue with that because that's something that makes much more sense for a state that has an economy as enormous as most other countries, right. uh, as, as enormous as, uh, more enormous than, than all, but, uh, I guess A three. Few, yeah. 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 No, no, that's something, you know, you know, you live in thousand Oaks and thousand Oaks is known as probably one of the safest places in California to live yet. You know, despite that, you know, if you had an issue of violence, you know, not too long ago, you know, gun, you know, safety and, and, you know, gun control has been, you know, a priority of yours over the past years. You know, obviously we had a, another shooting yesterday, but, you know, it kind of seems like everyone wants to do more and more and more. You guys are looking to do more, but, you know, what really can be done? Because it seems like, you know, despite all our best efforts, this, you know, keeps happening. It is, um, I mean, to hear the news yesterday morning when I woke up, it's so tragic, especially after we went through um, borderline in Thousand Oaks, the the scar that is left on the community never disappears. Uh, Ten people dead. Um, in in at uh, borderline, it was twelve. Everybody knew somebody who knew somebody. Everybody had a child that was, you know, just about to go there or had been there the previous week at mm-hmm. borderline. And and you know, this was the same place, some place that they were. Um, meeting other people and they were dancing and and they were enjoying life and mm-hmm. and then it was just I mean beyond tragic what happened so here in California we always talk about what can we do um, the fact is that uh, we really need this at the federal level we need more action uh, what I worked on after borderline is to look at what what can we do uh, with Cal with you know given what California's already done. And the two areas that we saw that we could do more work was uh, tightening up the gun violence restraining orders. And so we did bills, you know, some of them um, making it easier to to get a um, GVRO. But the other thing is most people don't know that you can utilize one. Right. And so it's very important that the word gets out there that if if you have a family member that you think that has a gun and, and that you think um, is... Uh, going to put potentially put other people in danger you can go and petition that the court to the court to have the, those guns taken away and i think that that would make a big difference in a lot of situations so we are we're going to be revisiting that again uh, we want to make sure we have a we've passed a bill to make sure that every um, department, sheriffs and police department, puts together policies um, on G- GVROs mm-hmm. and and engages the public to make sure that they um, know that that's mm-hmm. going on. The other thing is uh, we have this great program called the um, APPS program, which is. Basically, it's a list of um, felons that are not allowed to have guns, uh, domestic violence uh, abusers convicted that are not allowed to have guns. But the list keeps growing. And so we were able to get money in the budget to uh, and the 
usually these guns are taken away by the attorney general's office. So we wanted to make sure that they had all the help that they could um, use. And we gave grants to four local departments because the locals often have um, a much easier time removing guns from, you know, um, from criminals that are in that area or people that have been convicted that aren't allowed to have guns. They know the neighborhoods. Often they know the families. And so that program was very successful. And we were able to get, again, additional $10 in funding. And that has been spread out among um, uh, the attorney general, spread it out among a a number of um, other departments. And so we really want to look at the numbers. To me, it seems obvious that that the local uh, local law enforcement um, can be a force multiplier to help the attorney general remove those guns. But I think right. it's as, you know, these people are not allowed to have guns and they should be removed. But I, I think, you know, we see already in California that we have the strictest laws and we have the lowest per capita number of deaths from gun violence. So what we really need is, uh, you know, I'm not sure how much more we can do here, but besides really um, enforcing the laws that we have. But again, we need to lobby to do more at the federal level. Mm-hmm. You know, we got, we got some deadlines coming up here. The, the beginning of, of the year, we have the uh, bill introduction deadline coming. You know, how's, how's your package looking this year? You know, how many bills are you looking to carry and kind of what kind of, what are some of the areas you're looking to, to attack here this year? Well, we had um, last year, I think I had the third most bill signed and we had a really robust, <laughs> Not that we're competitive in yeah, our office or not, <laughs> <laughs> but but we had um, a lot of really um, uh, big bills signed, like um, seventeen oh five. We we got um, uh, a battery recycling bill signed. Um, uh, um, that has an effort. It's been a 20 year effort mm-hmm. to get that done. I have really great staff. So we had a great bill package. So I don't know exactly what the bill package will look like this year because so far we're at like, I think 45 bills that we're looking at. And, um, and the limits 40. Well, we're, we're not, there, there is no way we'll be doing anything anywhere close to that, but we want to just make sure that we, uh, that we're we're picking the best ones right. and and um, figuring out where we can make the most difference. Wow! So everyone's coming to you with their great ideas. Well, huh? or we're coming up with some <laughs> of our great ideas. You know, yeah. a lot of our uh, a lot of ideas that that I think are great. But we'll see my, yeah. what my uh, what my well, staff thinks. Any about members that. who need need some bills, you know, <laughs> go to go to Jackie's office. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, awesome, Jackie. Thanks so much for taking the time and and talking with us. Uh, Very interesting stuff and uh, look forward to see what you do this year. Well, I certainly appreciate uh, the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks, Jackie.